Good morning. Yes, I'm uh, Joel Vidal. I served at Indian Creek for over six years as uh, we started off as First Baptist, if you remember, and uh, went through the whole process of trying to do the merger, adoption, whatever we called it back then. Um, it was a long, um, a long process, and God was at work and, and saw, saw fit to uh, bring, uh, in many ways, three churches together. How many were around then? Uh, it was a long, 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 uh, I hate to use the word uh, walk, and uh, there, were, there were seasons of, uh, we wondered if it was going to go through, but God, God sees fit to, to do what he has desired to uh, create. And um, I've been uh, gone for a while and been uh, ministering in the academic field. Um, I get the joy of training uh, future pastors and missionaries uh, that are going to serve around the world. And uh, first, uh, I left for Indianapolis, and I would drive back and forth in between Moody and, and Crossroads. Uh, and it was, uh, the first year was rather difficult. I thought I was gone more than probably four days on the road. And uh, I was ready to quit. And some of you know what it feels like to be a traveling salesman. That's what I felt like. The car was loaded with books and uh, going back and forth between two campuses. And uh, this year, uh, God uh, kind of released some of my duties down in Indy. I'm still um, doing their accreditation and assessment. Every school goes through the process of accreditation. Uh, if you are a graduate from a college, it's a good thing because the uh, commission says your degree is legal and you can go off and maybe get a, a graduate school degree. Uh, and what they do is they, they want to make sure that your students are, are, are being educated and being trained. And it happens even at elementary and high school levels. And so one of my jobs for Crossroads is making sure they, they make it through their, their recommission or their reaccreditation, what's going to happen in the next year. And so I'm writing a lot of assessments and also teaching at their Gary location. Um, teaching at an African-American church in the center of Gary, urban um, uh, area that a lot of people have forgotten about. I've heard one person call it the armpit of Chicago. I'm not sure where that came from. But um, if you want to see a, a rundown community of 150,000, um, it's there in Gary. And so I'm working with uh, African-American pastors, uh, trying to bring education to their leaders. And, uh, and then I share my time with Moody, as, a, as an assistant professor uh, and working uh, with uh, people in Christian ministry and leadership. And this semester, I'm jam-packed with eight classes. Uh, so between my Gary classes and Moody, I have about eight or nine this semester. Um, someone said that's a lot, and it is, um, but I'm glad that uh, they spread it out. So I have eight-week classes and five-week classes that I get to, to spread. So I'm honored to be back at the school I'm, that I graduated from and, and teaching and providing leadership. Um, I'm in the midst of my dissertation. Some of you uh, have seen that on Facebook, and I'm writing chapters one through three right now, and we'll be defending that in June. And then if I pass that, I get to go further and work on four and five, chapters four and five, and I'll defend that in February. So the goal is to be done by February of next year and hooded in uh, May, be done, be done, 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 and move from there. My wife will be happy and my kids. Um, every minute that I get, I'm thinking about what I want to write about. And someone asked uh, today, what am I writing about? Well, I'm, I'm exploring how pastors do their devotional life. Sounds really odd, but uh, uh, the devotional life in the pastor has changed over the years. And so I want to explore how, um, how current pastors are, are, are committing themso themselves to the, the life of devotion uh, and looking at the history of the spiritual life uh, through the literature that is available. So that's kind of what I've been doing uh, over the last several months and, and weeks, and I'm looking forward to be done. So you can pray for me. There's days of discouragement. Um, you get back a packet in the, in the email or in the mail, and it's full of red spots all over it, and uh, you have to re rewrite it again. So it's back to the drawing board. Well, let's, shall we pray and ask God to help us as we um, uh, finish this task that's before us of, of studying his word. Father, we uh, desperately need you. We thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to be our sacrifice, our substitution. And uh, we thank you that you have placed us on 
on solid rock and that we can um, stand during difficult days. Uh, each of us is, uh, is on a walk toward uh, eternity and we are being tested and tried as Peter has described in this great epistle that um, there are days where they seem to be low, but you are, you are taking us on this walk uh, here on earth uh, to, be be- uh, to make us better, uh, better servants of you, um, better um, Christians, Christ followers. And so, Father, whatever my brothers and sisters have come today with heavy hearts, uh, may you now speak and may you um, conform uh, their heart to the image of Jesus Christ. Thank you for taking our heart of flesh, our heart of stone, and making it a heart of flesh and, and causing conversion to take place. And, and uh, we are um, unable to pay you back for such a gracious um, act. Oh, great Father, we thank you for that. We uh, praise you for what you'll do uh, with this word as we, um, as we leave this place. We pray for Pastor Travis as he closes out the retreat there at Phantom Ranch in Wisconsin and pray for safety on the road as, as the weather uh, stations are saying the ice is going to come and we pray for safety and um, getting him back home. So we'll trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, uh, at the uh, end of the semester, this last semester, uh, I had gone down to Indy for a day trip to have some meetings with some of my colleagues and uh, I was packing things up and trying to take what I could um, as um, uh, the new semester was starting. And there was a young man that uh, lived in the apartments uh, near the school, and he said, uh, Professor Badal, can, can you drive me home back up to Gary? And uh, I always don't like doing that uh, because, uh, you know, insurance. And so I asked the, the uh, vice president of student affairs, is it okay if I take uh, the student back uh, with me up to the Chicago area? He said, yeah, absolutely. We got in the car, and he was one of those chatterboxes. You know what I mean? He just... Just, you know, I kind of want to just uh, spend time reflecting on what happened this last semester. And did I, was I a good teacher? Did, did students learn? And, and he just went, and uh, kept, kept me awake, uh, which was a good thing. Um, but he looked down on my speedometer, and I was going 75. The great thing about Indiana, you get to go 75 on I-65. It's a great feeling because you can actually fly. Uh, you, around here, you got to stay at 55, and they'll pull you over if you go a little bit over that. But he looked down at my speedometer. He said, Professor. I said, yeah. Professor, why aren't you going faster? I said, well, I mean, 75 is pretty fast. He's like, well, when I drive, I, 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 put, it to the me- I put it down to the floor, and I, I drive 100. I said, really? You do? He goes, oh, yeah. I do it all the time. I said, well, why are you driving with me? He said, well, I don't have a car. Oh, I said, well, what happened to that car? Well, I lost my license. Well, what happened with the license? Well, the, I got pulled over on I-65, driving 100 miles an hour. <laughs> I said, well, tell me more about yourself, well, you know, your, your, your story and where you come from. You know, I live in Gary, and, and uh, yeah, I just, I live, I live free. I live on my own. I do whatever I kind of want me, myself, to do, and I thought, that's a great story. Tell me more because you're talking to a professor here. And so a two and a half hour drive, he's like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think we need to have rules and regulations and all these other standards that, that uh, the school has established. I, I think I should be able to go to the bar and, and drink over the weekend. And I said, is that what you plan on doing? Oh, yes, professor. I plan on, on doing that. And he recently got engaged and he said, you know, I, I, can, I can have premarital sex and, and not, not feel uh, intimidated by the rules of the school. I said, really? Is that what you're going to do while you're up here? Oh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with my fiancé, and we're going to have a, a good weekend. Well, I dropped him off, and I said, you know, you remind me of what Jesus said to the people in Matthew 7. Uh, you are an antinomian. Uh, and he said, what's an antinomian? I said, well, you're in Bible college. He's like, I don't know, I've never heard that word before. I said, you should have gotten in a New Testament class. He said, what does it mean? I said, you live your life as if the law doesn't exist for you. And maybe you come today and you're a Christian and you're living your life as if the law or the government does not exist. I think we live in difficult days here in the United States. Uh, I think we're, we're Christians where we're challenged by what our government is doing and rightly so, 
I'm not pleased by what the government's doing. Are you? I'm not pleased by what maybe our governors and, and mayors and town presidents and village and school boards ha have enacted over the years. And um, yet I'm told by the scripture that I'm to yield and I'm to respect and I'm to submit myself to these earthly institutions. And I'll tell you, that's really hard to do. It's really hard to do. But for the Christian, it should be easier. For the Christian, it should be an easier process. And this is where Peter is taking us. He's already told us that uh, you're going to go through dark and, and dreary days, a time of testing, time of reproving. You're, you've been uh, called out of darkness into the marvelous light. What a call to conversion. What a call to salvation. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the beloved light. And that means your life ought to look differently in front of those who watch you on a daily basis. So let me ask you, as we look at all the different uh, day that's ahead of us, and a new week as we start Monday, a new business week, we look at the stories of the headline on Fox or whether it's CNN that's spotlighting what the problems might be uh, in our government, whether we're going to solve this fiscal cliff and people wonder whether they're going to have a job or health care crisis. What do you do with all these things? Do you, do you let these sit in your heart and you can really formulate some criticism, can't you? Oh, our president, we don't like him, or we like him, or we don't like him. Or our governor, Quinn, here in the United, in great old state of Illinois is not doing his job, and so other people will say different comments. Um, I don't need to go into those comments, but as a Christian, what do you do in those situations? Do you listen to it and then take those to the people that you work with and interact with and say the same thing and... I used to listen to Rush Limbaugh all too often, and um, I quit doing that. Um, there was a reason why is because I began talking like him. It's amazing what happens when you listen to others who have something to say, critic out there, and uh, critics are good. They, they uh, jab you, and they stab you, and they make good comments, and then they use flair and fanfare to to spin it a little bit, and then you believe it, and then your heart is changed by it. So, let me ask you this question today. You could write it down, and maybe it's something for you to think about. How do you live? How do you, or how do we live as Christians uh, in this world that seems to be going contrary to what God has established? How do you live as a Christian today? How do you live as a Christian in a world that seems to be going in a different direction than what God had originally established. Remember, God is the ruler, isn't he? Amen? Uh, Israel, in the time of the Old Testament, had a king, and their king was God. Uh, they desired a king. They said, Lord, give us a king like every other nation. We want a king that will lead us. And God says, I am your what? I am your king I have led you out of slavery. I have led you into spacious land and property where you can find your, your um, place and you have rejected me. And so God gives them some rules and regulations and standards by which that they were going to operate on and they didn't like it, did they? They chose a really spectacular king, didn't they? His name was Saul. A king who looked pretty handsome, uh, a mighty man, wasn't he? And, and God says, I'm really looking for a king who would have a heart that looks like it's been changed because he's under me. How do you live as a servant of God when our world seems to be operating on a different set of standards, a different direction? Let me just say this. Living underneath God's will requires you, his servant, to do good and respect those earthly institutions that God has enacted. And I know that's a really hard statement to say. You as the Christian, as me, as a leader in the church, a leader in academics, I have to show students every day what it looks like to submit and to surrender and to yield to earthly, earthly leaders and rulers and kings, whether it be at the local level, whether it be at a business whether it be in academics or even the local church, we're told to submit 
to those earthly institutions. And so servants of God will do good. You will do good. Here are some things I want to share today with you. You will place yourself, you will place yourself under God-ordained leadership, God-ordained human institution. Look at the text, verses uh, 13 through 14. It was read to you, so let's review it again. Be subject to the Lord's sake for every human institution. Underline that. If that is a problem for you, it's something that God has asked you maybe to think about today. How are you doing in that? How are you submitting yourself, placing yourself under human institutions? It's not an easy task, is it? No, it isn't. Not too long ago, uh, last um, spring, our local high school in Hinkley Big Rock, where we live, uh, did a play for the community, a spring play. And, and so I, I, we decided to go, and uh, we sat in it, and everything in it was about homosexuality, drinking, and sexual immorality. That was the whole play about. Um, and I was, I was appalled. I, I, I sat there, my mouth dropped, because here are young people acting these things out, drinking, and everything that the school says you're not supposed to do, and they do it publicly, and little kids are there, just shocked. I was, I was shocked, and I, I sat there, and I, and I thought, well, what should I do as a Christian? Because here's a human institution, a school, a local school, and, and I think what, what Christians often do is they abdicate. They go, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my kids out and, and, and run from that because I, I, don't want, I don't want evil. And then I have to uh, do all the, the business of explaining to them what, what's going on here. And, and so what we do is we leave the public realm and we, we let the pagans run the public realm when, when the Christians ought to be influencing at the public level. So I sat there and I'm like, well, what is Joel going to do? Joel likes to preach that we should stand up a lot of times. Tell students that you ought to stand up for your rights. You ought to speak out when there's injustice. And so I decided to go to the school board meeting. That was scary. Um, Stonewall. And, and, and here's this table that all the school board members are sitting at. And I, I walk in. I sit in these chairs facing the school board. And you sign in. And they go through their minutes from last month, and, and, and then they go, are there any grievances that, that the community has toward uh, the board? I'm like, oh boy, grievances. How am I going to speak? How will I speak to them as a human institution? They are. How will I speak to them? Well, I have to place myself under their what? Under their authority. I have to follow their rules, their standards. Even when I don't like it. Even when I don't like it. Peter says, even when you don't like it, believers, you have to place yourself under these human institutions for a time. And God will help you do it. And I spoke. And I said, you know, I've lived here for a while, and I'm appalled. I, just, I used that word. I'm appalled. I'm shocked that... The principal of this school would allow young people to do a, a display, a play, a, a, a talent show in, in front of others and bring little people, little, little ones, to come and listen for a whole three days. And I said, I, I, I demand a school board to make some type of statement in regards that they will never do this again. That was bold. That was bold. And they just kind of look at you like, Oh, well, we'll talk about this. And so what did you do next? Well, you got to continue to go back to them and challenge and challenge and speak and speak. Because if you don't, they'll continue to do what they're doing. And I, and I think this is the reason why a lot of our policies here in the U.S. are, are gaining ground is because Christians don't want to be influencers. They don't want to speak up. Oh, they'll just do it anyway. They live in a pagan world just because they just do what they do. It's a pagan world. You can't do anything about it. Yes, you can. And Peter says, submit yourself under what? Under human institutions and willingly do it. But understand that God is over this. He's, he's orchestrating all this together according, with, uh, according to his will. 
Let's look at the duty of man and the rule of God. I think there is a duty for you and I as we look at, at, at our citizenship here on earth. We are citizens of this earth for a time, but we're told, Peter says, we're, we are citizens of a, of a, of a kingdom to come. Amen? We are aliens and strangers wandering about, wandering about, looking forward to this place we're going to call home. But there's a duty that you and I have to be about placing ourselves under, under human institutions, even sometimes grinding our teeth about it. Ugh. Oh. But there's a place and there's a, there's a time to speak up. You hear me? There's a place and there's a, there's a time to speak up. I think sometimes we speak ill first when we should maybe serve first. We speak out when we should model what it looks like to be different to the people we interact with. The duty of man and the rule of God. And so what does Peter want us to deal with? Well, he says, I want you to yield. Yielding to the earthly institutions proves that your life has been changed by the gospel. When you yield, it shows that your life is changed by the gospel. The young man that I drove home to Gary, Indiana, showed me that he was not changed by the gospel. He was living his life as if the law did not exist for him. He was doing activities and saying this is what he was going to do, as if the gospel hadn't changed his life. And I had a problem with that as a teacher. And so what did I do? I said, well, I, call, I picked up my phone and I called uh, the student affairs uh, vice president. I said, we, I think we have to release this young man from school. He says, why? I said, because he's not living, he's not yielding to the standards that the school has placed before him. Let alone his church. He's not yielding. Let alone God's word. He's not yielding to the authorities, the human institution that God has placed by his will for a certain time. And so we had to release him as a student. You're no longer what? You're no longer a student. It's a hard thing to do. But it's a needed thing to do because you're hoping that that life would be changed and there would be growth in it. One of the things that yielding does, it makes us stop, slow down, Look at these human institutions. What is my role in government? What's my role in politics? What's my role in serving the public realm? We have, as believers, we have an, a deep involvement in effecting change in our community. So I tell people, serve in the public realm. Serve on the school board. If that's what God is calling you to do, you have to place yourself under those human institutions. You have to follow their rules. Doesn't mean you can't speak out against it. Doesn't mean you can't invoke some type of change. It just means that you have to yield and you have to follow what they have been put together. God has allowed that to happen. They serve as our overseers for such a time as this. Doesn't mean you have to agree with every policy. It does mean that you have a participation in it and you need to be one who stands boldly up especially in such a time as we have today. So what evidence does it give? What evidence does this change heart when the gospel saturates a life? Look what it says. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him. Who's him? Okay? To punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What evidence of a gospel change? Look at the passage. Look at the passage and what we just looked at a couple weeks ago that Pastor Travis has, has gone and, and taking you through. He says, verse 13, chapter 1, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Why? Because you're living in a very chaotic world. Be sober-minded. Why do you mean be sober-minded? Got to be alert. When you watch the news, be sober-minded about it. People are like, I, I can't believe that, that a gunman will go through a school. I can believe it. I can believe it. You're saying, why can you believe it? You know why I can believe it? Because sin, evil, 
evil dominates our community? Why are there, why are there drugs and gangs and violence? Because evil exists. And it, it requires you as a servant of God to prepare your minds for action. Set your whole uh, fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. It serves, then, as a good witness to the world. Look what he says. Or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Be subject to the Lord's institution. Look at verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, which they will, by the way, they'll call you crazy. Look at those crazy people. They love Jesus. And sometimes they'll even say you're evildoers because you serve an honorable God. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when you speak against, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your, your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It serves as a good witness to the world. Now, the word good here in verse 12, Peter switches it. And I, I don't want to bash our translation. Please, please, the translation you have today is good, okay? The problem with translation in languages is we try to translate a language into our common language. Is everyone following me? So it, it makes it really hard. So some words don't, are, are hard to translate from one language to another. In Greek, there are two words for good. The first word is the word kalos, means exterior. For example, the building looks really good today. And, and when I speak of that, I speak of the exterior component of the building. Or I could say, you look really nice today. Some of you are wearing dresses, some of you are wearing a tie. Man, you look like, you look really nice. So your outer appearance is what? Is, is pleasant, is amenable, is, it's nice, it's, it's, it's up, it's kept up. There are some people who just like, oh man, you smell. I smell in the wrong direction, not smell nice. In the store yesterday, walking out, and I came home, I'm like, Miss Lisa, that's what's wrong with you. Oh, I smell two guys walk in, and I just wondered. She goes, what do you mean? Oh, I just wonder if they just took a shower today. They didn't do that. And it, it's, it smell. So, kalos, K-A-L-O-S, is this idea that the, the outer side, the, 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 the exterior of the person looks beautiful, looks, looks pleasant, and looks like it's been kept up. And however, the other Greek work, which he's going to mention later in the passage, doesn't speak about that. It speaks about the internal components, the, the interior of the heart. And, you know, it's easy to spot someone from the exterior and to look at them and say, they look good. That looks pleasant. But it's hard to judge and to discern the interior motivation of a person. Isn't that right? Be subject to the Lord's sake. So he moves from this word kalos and he says, Be subject, verse 13, to the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor or as supreme or governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. Secondly, it shows God will observed in the Christian life. What does it do? Well, it serves as a good witness. Verse 12. It shows the exterior component of who you are. And I hope if the exterior looks good, that the interior also looks good. Amen? Oh, Lord, change my what? Change my, my heart. It's easy to come to church and say, someone asks, well, how are you doing? Yeah, my dog died. I lost my job and smile about it. I'm, I'm being honest. It's, it's easy to put the face on and look good. Put the makeup on and the mask and everything looks good. A lot of people look good, but interior, their interior heart is evil, slander, not yielding and not placing themselves under God's human institution. You can tell a person's heart. You can tell by a person's heart by the way they speak. And out of the overflow of one's 
speech is their heart, true? What they focus on, what they do. So it shows that God's will is being observed in the Christian life. He says, be subject to the Lord's institution for, for every human institution. Verse 15, for this is the what? This is the will of God, living underneath God's will. God's will for every Christian in this place is to submit, to yield, to place themselves under human institution for a season of time. And that season is all the way to eternity until Jesus reigns in Jerusalem as our true king. And I look forward to that. When our true king is crowned, Lord of lords, right? The Christ, the son of the living God, sitting on the throne. And Philippians says every knee will what? Every knee will bow. Praise be to God. It shows that God's will is being observed in the Christian life. Look at secondly, I think as you look at, as you place yourself under these human institutions, it shows that God rules then over all. He rules over all, over all institutions, over all lands, over all civilization. God rules ultimately. And, and, and this is the, the question that, that often comes to um, students who, who, who ask the, you know, these theological and really philosophical questions. Uh, and this happened in one of my theology classes when we were talking about human government and the place of politics in the Christian life. And, and, I, and I remember I, I said this question, and, and I, I prefaced it with this. I said, find the corner in the room. And everyone says, well, there's a corner there and there's a corner there. I said, because at the end of class, you're going to put me in one of those corners. Okay? And that's what happened. I, I said a statement, and it was like not a shock, but it was just a statement. I said, maybe... Maybe, the, maybe we were wrong as Christians to smuggle Bibles into China. <gasps> maybe we were. Because maybe that the Chinese government, even though we disagree with communism, but God has allowed that human institution to reign and have authority over that land, maybe the Christian who is under that, what we say is harsh regime, nonsense, maybe we wrong, were wrong sending publications and Christian print media over there to the Christians so that they might have God's word and, and, and grow. And you're like, well, wait a minute. You're, you're, you're throwing a curveball in there. I got to think about that. Because God says when a law comes into the land, you're to what? You're to submit yourself. You're to yield. You're to obey. Joel. I, I'm fed up with our government. I'm not going to, I'm not, well, we have a family member who doesn't pay their taxes. They live in the desert. And every once in a while he'll call home and check on what's going on. And he will never give you his address because he's afraid Uncle Sam's going to come. And he hasn't paid for years. He's not what? He's not yielding to the human institution or the government. So here's these students that want to say, well, you know, professor, but all this, this is just wrong. We're, we're supposed to bring Bibles. We're supposed to bring print media to, to these people who, who don't have the opportunity. Well, yeah, I agree. I, you know, humanly, I'm saying that's, that's a great plan as a church. But then are they, as citizens of that land, disobeying? Here, you hear me out. Are they? Because the law of their land says you cannot what? You cannot read the scripture. You cannot go to church. You cannot worship God. That is the law of the land. And so are they sinning as Christians? This is the tough question that it's not an easy answer today. And I think as believers, you need to search out the scripture. Well, aren't you a professor? I am. And I'm saying it's a very hard question. Peter says, if you're going to take Peter's words, it is in accordance with God's will that they follow who? The human institution. You're to submit. You're to yield. You're to place yourself under the God who is the divine ruler. Ultimately, yes, he's our king. But he says, I have placed these other, other individuals over you. I've allowed it to happen. You have to yield 
So God then is, as we look at, if he rules over all, if he rules over all, he is our God, he is our divine ruler, and, and, and that means he's over all things, every and all institution, right? Everything. Marriage, yes, that's an institution that God has enacted. You agree? Yeah? What's going on with marriage today? Everyone's laughing. It's, it's nothing to laugh about, is it? It's being redefined. Well, we, I've written a letter. Write more. Speak out more. Well, I don't want to ruffle the feathers. And Why not? Do it honorably as a Christian, but speak out. He's over the king, meaning nationally. He's, he's over all kings. That would include our president. That would include a prime minister. He's over all. And so Peter's speaking very generally here. In a nation, you're going to have a ruler, and that ruler is going to be over the national affairs of, of, the, of, of what's going on in that nation. And then he moves to the local level and speaks about governors. At the local level, even at the state level, while you might not disagree that we have one of the highest taxes in the state of Illinois than other states, and you might not agree that, that we should have a, a law that, that says that we cannot uh, conceal and carry, because when you go over to Indiana, they can do that. You never know who has a gun. I always thought maybe I should do that. <laughs> Scary. You might disagree. Speak up, then. But do it honorably. Do it as a servant who yields his life and submits his life or her life under God's rule and authority. And, and as he directs you, as he guides you, you surrender all that you are to who he is and those human institutions that he has placed. Every king, governor. And let me just speak spiritually here today. He has given the local church elders to oversee, and members of the body are to yield to those leaders that God has. You'll see that in 1 Peter chapter 5. To the elders, the overseers of the flock, uh, and he gives qualifications of what that looks like. So he moves through this passage, and he's encouraging you to, to think about where you are as a good citizen. Are you a good citizen? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're a grumpy citizen. I could be a grumpy citizen. What's the motivation? Well, look what he does in verses 15 through 17. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but you're to live under Neath God's will as a citizen in this country and allow him to move you and move those human institutions that he's allowed to exist. You're to surrender and yield. Sometimes God just wants you to yield. I haven't been doing a good job at yielding at stop signs that say yield. You know how you turn right where the red light, I just kind of go. How about I have a fellow colleague who's in the same PhD program with me, and, and I'm like, uh, I was driving with him uh, back in um, uh, October, and I'm going to see him again. He goes, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't believe in stop signs. I just kind of roll right through. I'm like, you're an antinomian. You are an antinomian. You live your life as if the law doesn't exist for you, and you call yourself a Christian. Yeah. Secondly, today, as you look at your outline, verses 15 through 17, how do we live as servants of God when our world seems to operate on a different set of patterns, different standards, different ideals than Christian beliefs? Living underneath God's will requires a servant to do good, he says, to do good and respect those human institutions. And what he takes us to, it, it promotes then, it promotes a freedom that's in accordance with the will of God and the fear of God. I'd like you to underline those words, the idea of the will of God and the fear of God in your, in your biblical text today. Because there is, a, is, there is a, the will of God of submitting and allowing him to work in these human institutions. And when you live under and you yield and place yourself under these human institutions, it shows that you live as free. 
under the cross by the blood of Jesus Christ, his resurrection from uh, the grave. The will of God, our hope of freedom, and the reverence then for God. He says living under God's will is a call then to every Christian in this room today and any other Christians outside of this place. Living under God's will is a call to every Christian. Again, look at verse 15. For this is the what? Say with me, the will of God. Say with me, the will of God. What's his will? You ever wonder what his will was for your life? One passage says that the will of God is for your sanctification, your holiness. Oh, I thought it was some mysterious plan that God had, and I'm just supposed to find it out. I remember asking those questions as a high schooler. Go to my youth pastor, Pastor John. What's God's will for my life? Just kind of look at you and smile. Well, and he always take you back to Scripture. Why take you back to Scripture, Joe? been dealing with some a couple who wants to go to overseas and uh, they've been accepted by their mission they're stone cold on raising support they're at seven percent they've been at seven percent and they're not going anywhere daughter's been diagnosed with some um, ish health issues and um, he came to me um, a couple weeks ago and said why isn't God letting us go? He thought it was his will. God's will for your life is what? Is your holiness. I think we think of it as some plan out there. A mysterious plan. God says, I just want you to be holy. Holy people. People changed by the gospel. People who live under the gospel, under God's will for such a time as this. God's will for your life is to surrender sometimes to his plans, his purposes. Living under God's will is a call to every Christian. He says it. He says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Notice the word good again. Remember what I said that in verse 12, it's the word call us. But now in, in this passage right here in this verse, he uses the word agathos. Okay, A-G-A-T-H-O-S, agathos. Interesting word, which I said was the interior what? The interior man the in, and the, the heart issue. Okay, so call us is the exterior. I look good, but now the interior, he moves now from one word to another to stress a point. While you might look good on the outside, that it's your inside that really counts right now. Living under God's will is a call to every Christian. And how does, what does this accomplish then for, for us? Well, he says it very clearly. It silences the critics. When you show your interior motivation as well as your exterior, it provides a, a, an avenue for you to speak out against the injustice in in our land. See, it's one thing to have a heart for the poor. It's another thing to go and meet the needs of the poor. You follow me? It's one thing to speak out for injustice and, and poverty and the uneducated. It's another thing to go and do something about the uneducated, the people who can't read, the people who can't write, the people who can't get a job. It's one thing to another. So while the exterior looks really good, you speak about it every day. It's another thing to actually go do it and put your hands and your heart and your mind into that task. Maybe 4-H has it right. Head, heart, and hands. If you have it here and it hasn't done anything here inside and it hasn't done anything with your hand, then it's nothing, correct? It's a bunch of religios religiosity, moral beliefs, virtues. And the Bible says it's like a noisy gong. The idea to put to silence, muzzle the ox, 
as, as the, the ox is treading out the grain. Muzzle it. Put to silence those people who speak ill about the Christian in, in society. We need to speak up. And so when, when the newscaster on CNN or Fox speaks ill of the Christian, you ought to be all alert about that. You ought to speak out against that is injustice. Don't let this just sit by. When the writer at the Beacon News decides to criticize the church, you should speak out against it. But the problem is, as Christians, we speak out and we don't do it lovingly and we don't do it from a merciful hand. That's my issue. It's a call for my life as well. Sometimes the power of the pen is noble. And it starts there. Sometimes holding up a sign, well, that's good. It might, it might make you do more than just hold up a sign. Some of us are, are, are like, how can abortion take place in our country? And we have to submit because that's the law of the land. Abortion is, is equal rights. Anyone can do it. Any women could do it. They could go and, and have it done today. And we say that's, that's an appalling law that our country has adopted under its governance. How can they do it? And so Christians, what they do is we go on, on maybe Galena or Main Streets and we hold up signs. But it's another thing. It's an, and that's a good thing to do, but it's another thing when the good actually motivates with you within, and now you go to the, the local um, um, Christian clinic where moms are coming in, future moms, and they, they're getting their ultrasounds, and they're getting their, their baby equipment, and they've decided it's another thing to minister to them at that level. I think that's where we're missing it at. We go on the streets, and we hold up our billboards, but then we stop. Follow me today? You want to live good lives before the pagans? Show it. Not just in the exterior. Well, that's good. Pretty it all up. But God is looking for the interior motivation of your heart. Are you willing to do it? Secondly, he says, it shows our good character. It shows that our character is good. It, the quality of good. There is a motivation to do something that which is good inside, and God does it. He says very clearly that as he moves along, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom. A gospel-centered person who's been really changed by the gospel is free. Is free. But sometimes Christians use that freedom as a way to say, well, I'll go in and slay the people who are doing injustice. Follow me? And we hear the stories, I'll go and kill for another, one person to another. And so you find stories about the abortion doctor who is slain in public because a Christian is outraged by the injustice of abortions taking place. And so he shoots the, the doctor and we're like, well, praise God, he stopped evil. That might be going through your mind, but it's just one act of hatred for what? For another. He said, secondly, live free. When you live free, it's actually true freedom in Christ. That's what he says in verse 16. You're living free. He says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Doing things that are bad, negative. Rather, live as servants of who? Of God. So he gives you some... Here's some application. True freedom protects one's life from evil. Protects our life, your life. It properly treats all people then equally. Protects people. It doesn't give evil in exchange for evil. It, protect, it properly gives everyone. It includes everyone. Everyone is included under the image of God. And so we treat everyone equally, even though we might not like what they do and what they say. But we properly treat them with what? With the respect that we would want ourselves to receive. Let me also say, he says then, pursue then love. Love without compromise. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your what? Your agathos, your good interior motivation, your interior heart. They may see your good deeds and give honor and praise to God at the day of visitation. Do this, he says, 
You'll put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. It's not a cover-up for evil, but it's living as servants of God, not exchanging your freedom all for grace, right? And sometimes people use grace as a license to sin, and I'm telling you, you cannot do that today. Thirdly, pursue love without compromise. Fourthly, place God, place God as the ruler of all institutions, all. Then, as we kind of close, he says, you should live in reverence of God as a worship, worshipful act. L live your life in such a way as you do this. Life is a worship service. Life is a worship service. Honor God with it. He says, love the brotherhood. Fear God. Underline that. Fear God. That is a worship act. And you live in reverence of that, that because God is this person we worship. He is a person. He's not a thing. We worship him because it communicates who we are in Christ. Look at chapter 1, verse 23. He says this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It communicates that we're in Christ. Secondly, it confirms that we have what we have is because of Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 5. He says, you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. This is what you do. What's God's will for your life? Living underneath human institutions, placing yourself under that, living as free servants under maybe some harsh realities. Thirdly, it calls us to endure this present life. Chapter 5 is all about that, the enduring life, living under God's will underneath it. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a hard passage for a guest speaker to come in and say, you got to do this, you got to do this. God wants the exterior to be right, yes, and he wants the what? the interior to be all off so right. He wants that. And when we live in a, a very a world that seems to be out of control, maybe the old hymn writer had it right. This is my father's world. Oh, let me ne'er forget, though the wrong seems off so strong, God is ruler yet. This is my father's world. Why should my heart be sad? The Lord is king. Let the heavens ring. God reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let's stand for closing prayer and our benediction. Father, we uh, thank you that you do reign. And you reign in a very difficult um, days. And we look forward to the kingdom when Jesus will reign over all the earth and all the nations will come and bow down and worship the king. But you've asked us to do our duty, our duty of being good citizens as aliens in this time of wandering. We're to submit to our earthly institutions. We're not to use our freedom as a cover-up to do evil, but to do it as a worshipful act of seeing lives changed by the gospel. I pray that you will speak to us in those words, and we ask this in Jesus' name, and all of God's people would say, agree with me, saying, amen, amen.